Today we honor the mothers in our midst, their sacrifices and the influence of their lives. Uh, but it's also a day that many of us face losses and griefs that mark this day rather than joy, yeah. right? And uh, the loss of your own mother, the losses of a child or the desire of having one. I have friends who will not attend church on Mother's Day because it's just so painful. So thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for being here. It takes courage to do that. Right? Uh, Adrienne Booker wrote a beautiful poem about Mother's Day where she lists out the pain that many moms carry today. And she, it's a long poem, but she ends it saying, I see you this Mother's Day. I hold your heart in mine, and I ask for God's grace to find you. May you be comforted in your loss. And now I lost my place. Or may you be comforted in your loss and in your longing. May your eyes be open to those you have mothered through your love and care and nurturing, whether children have filled your home or not. And may you be met with sweet memories of the special women in your own life who are as mothers to you, even if your own is gone. I see you this Mother's Day. I hold your heart in mine, and I ask for God's grace to find you. Our topic today, as Cassie and I talked about it, is leaving a legacy. And that's a hard topic to do at any time of the year. And I think it's harder to do on Mother's Day because it smells full, uh, like it's heavy with expectations, right? So I like the way Adriel Booker puts it, to may your eyes be open to those you have mothered through your love and care and nurturing, whether children have filled your home or not, and may you be met with sweet memories of the special women in your own life who are as mothers to you even if your own is gone. We all have been mothered by someone and the impact of their life on us is their legacy, right. right? And the impact of the lives of those whom you mother, and you don't have to be a mom to mother, is your legacy. It's what you leave behind. My own mom passed away nine years ago and there's a picture of her. And what she, uh, what's on that, the tombstone, the tomb is shared by both my mom and my dad, but what's on the tomb says, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And uh, my mom was a teacher and a, a, a preacher and her last message was a message she spoke of a poem called The Dash by Linda Ellis. And in that poem, she asks about the dash. And you say, what is the dash? You know, what does it mean? Is it like a sprint? Is it like a race? No, the dash that my mom talked about is the little symbol which we place between words and sentences. You know, usually we place the dash between a birth date and the date someone dies, like 1940 to 2004, right? And so my mom asked, what's in that dash? Because that dash encompasses all the experiences of a human life, our joys, our sorrows, our legacies, all that happens between our birth and our death, all of our stories 
are represented in that little line, that little dash. And what's in that dash is what forms our legacies. And that's what we're going to spend time on because the dash is our legacy. It's what we leave behind. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come here just grateful to you because you are here. You speak to us. Your Holy Spirit moves in our midst. And so, Father, we pray that even as uh, we listen and as we speak, that, Father, these words that are spoken, these words that are heard, will take wing through your Holy Spirit and go deep into our lives and transform us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Okay, a legacy is something that's passed on to the next generation. So now it could be a positive legacy, you know, uh, values that are passed on, or love, patience that are passed on from your, your parent to, the, uh, to you. But it can also be a negative legacy. Legacies left by abuse or addiction or trauma. Those two are legacies that are left behind. The fact of the matter is all of us leave a legacy. Every life lived has, a, has an impact. And legacies are interesting because as much as we can think about it and be, uh, be intentional about it, we have no control uh, over it. It's left behind, right? You and I know stories of people who we thought had lived great lives and after they've died, there come out these secret stories and then the legacy that we thought was a great legacy really isn't. It's a legacy of pain, not of blessing. Or sometimes a person can lead a, a life that's amazing, but as you talk to their children, the le their legacy is a legacy of pain, right? My parents were in ministry, and they built their organization over 40 years. Uh, I know how much they hope that their work would be the legacy, that their ministry would be something that my brother and I would carry on. And then God brought me here, and then God called my brother into another ministry, and what they thought would be their legacy wasn't anymore. I know how often I hope to be the kind of mom that leaves an amazing legacy. I'm a word person and I want to leave words that are meaningful and strong for my children. And so I'm also a mom who parents out of a lot of insecurity. And so when Facebook had this list of things of like, what impact are you leaving on your children? And they give you like 10 questions that you ask your children to see how much of an impact you're leaving. And one of those questions is, what do your children hear most from you? And so when my daughter was, I think she must have been 10, and I asked her, so Talila, what do you hear most from me? And I was hoping she would say, I love you. I'm great, you know, that, I'm, that uh, my words were words of encouragement and uh, support. But she said, what I hear most from you, mom, is clean your room. <laughs> there went my hope of leaving a legacy of encouragement. But leaving a legacy is like a slow cooker, is, is cooking with a slow cooker. It's not, I'm an air fryer kind of person, but a slow cooker is what leaving a legacy is all about. Uh, I, I remember trying out a new recipe a couple weeks ago, and it involved taking this huge chunk of meat, 
And you had to like massage this thing with this rub and then let it sit for a whole day. And then we stick it in the slow cooker and you let it cook. And it took 15 hours to cook. But the flavor of that meat was amazing. It was delicious. A legacy is a life that is lived faithfully over a lifetime. It takes perseverance. It takes holding on. It's a slow cooker process. Someone said, your reputation is who you're supposed to be. Your legacy is who you are. Your reputation is who you are when you come into a community. Your legacy is what you leave behind when you go. A reputation is made in a moment. A legacy is built in a lifetime. One single newspaper report, a careless gossip, a tweet, a Facebook post can give you a reputation, but a life of toil and perseverance gives you your legacy. Reputation is what people will say about you on your tombstone. Legacy is what you, your children will live for the rest of, the, of their lives. Now, the Bible has many, many wonderful stories of people who've led, like, left legacies, but they aren't legacies of wealth or fame or popularity. Many of these people, many of them very obscure in their own day and age, are named in the Bible because they left a legacy of faith. So today we're going to look at two of them. And you can find this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Okay. Yeah. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. When you're reading your Bible, if you just blinked, you would have completely missed these two women. But Grandma Lois and her daughter Eunice left a powerful legacy. We don't know much of them. What we do know uh, is that Lois was a Jewish woman, and many commentators think that she and her daughter Eunice came to believe in Jesus when Paul went to now Turkey to a city called Lystra. In Acts chapter 16, we're told Eunice was a Jewish woman who had married a Greek man. Now, I'm reading between the lines here completely. I'm not sure what the circumstances were that this Jewish woman ended up marrying uh, a pagan man. What was the story behind this intercultural marriage? Did it break Lois's heart that her daughter had married someone from a different faith? What did the larger Jewish community and their families think about it? Timothy wasn't circumcised at birth. So that meant in many ways they were cut off from their culture. They were cut off from many Jewish ceremonial gatherings. What did it do to them as a family? Right? We don't know. But what we know is that when Lois and Eunice chose to follow Christ, their lives were so marked by their discipleship that it made an impact on Eunice's son, Timothy's life. Just think of the ways in which Lois and Eunice, these two women, would have had to learn to love each other, would have learned to forgive each other, 
that the ways in which they leaned into obedience to God over all of these hurts, over all of the cultural things that were around them. And you know what? It showed in Timothy's life so much so that in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we know that Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and so well, well spoken was Timothy that his uh, Paul wanted to take him along with him on his journeys. Paul in 2 Timothy calls their faith a sincere faith. You know, our English word sincere comes from the Latin word sign, Sarah, okay, which means without wax. When statues were made in the ancient Roman world, the craftsman, if he wasn't honest, would mix a little bit of marble dust with uh, wax and then seal the little cracks and the gouges that you know marred the, the statue and sell it. But over time, in the heat of that uh, region, the wax would melt or you know, as, as the time went over and it, the statue got worn out, the blemishes would be exposed. So if a, if a craftsman on uh, advertised his work as being signed Sarah, it meant that it was solid, it was true, it was sound. And this is the kind of faith that Lois and Eunice had. It was a solid faith, and they passed on the solid faith to Timothy. How do we know that? Well, here's how we know that. This is how Paul writes about Timothy to the Philippian church. And uh, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I re receive news of you, because I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not that of Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. This was the kind of faith that his mother and grandmother had fostered in him that was then mentored in him through Paul. It was a life that was marked by love. There was a concern for the welfare of others. He wasn't self-centered. It wasn't about what he could get out of it. He looked out for the interests of Jesus Christ. His relationship with God drove everything he did. His faith was proven, solid, tried. Timothy was very young. He must have been between 16 and 20 when he joined Paul in ministry. He knew and he experienced hardship, imprisonment, and all that comes with it. But he served in the work of the gospel. His faith was a faith that was demonstrated in action. It was a life of sincere faith. How do we live a life that has such an impact on the next generation? Well, since we're talking about it being a slow cooker, I thought of three ingredients. Now, there may be many, but I'm going with three ingredients right now. So the first ingredient is grow in your love for God and get to know him and his deep love for you. King David would put it this way in Psalm 145. 
Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. What is the legacy passed on here? The legacy that's passed on from one generation to the other is the greatness of God. They tell about the greatness of God. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. They tell of the power of your awesome works. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And David ends this segment of uh, the this, this psalm with... This, this last two lines, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The, great, the greatness of our God is shown in the greatness of his compassion and his love for us. Uh, one of the women who was a mother to me after my mother died, her name was Wynne Couchman, and uh, she was just this, you're walking through the room and she would just glow, you know, it's just a beautiful woman of God. And uh, she would always tell me, Shantani, how are you spending your time? Are you spending your time studying the love of God? And she would say, I'm soaking in it. And I'd say, Wynne, what are you soaking in? And she's like, God loves you, Shantani, really. He really loves you. He's on your side. He relentlessly pursues you. He is for you. He is with you. Often we think, my life is such a tiny little life. It's all, I'm, I, I'm so overwhelmed my, by my own circumstances. I can't even think of a legacy. What difference do I make in the span of the great universe and all, you know, time and all of this? And this is the core message of the Bible, that God loves us. Yeah. He loves you, right? And uh, Bishop William Temple would say, my worth is what I'm worth to God. And that's a marvelous great thing for Christ died for me. Your significance, your value, your purpose in life, your story, your legacy is tethered to the greater story of God that he's a God who loves you. And he, you get to be part of what he's doing and his eternal plans of the world, for the world through eternity. How do we do this? Paul tells Timothy's church, Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus and Paul tells the church there, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but it was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So grow in knowing God, his steadfast love for you, his presence with you always, that he's for you, that his goodness, his righteousness, his compassion is with you. This is not something that comes easily. My default mode keeps my eyes on myself, what I can control. My busyness leaves me grabbing a five-minute piece of God, and then I'm off. Very rarely do we pause to wonder what it means when he says that he's here. He's with us. He loves us. For us as a family, one of the ways we did that 
was that we shared the stories of God at work in our lives. And um, uh, we realized that we, our kids didn't know our testimony. We had so freely told our testimony to everybody else, but our kids didn't. So one day we sat them down and said, this is how we came to faith. This is what God did in our lives. But then we began to keep a rhythm. And part of that rhythm was saying, every night when we came together for dinner, we would go around sharing what's our highs, what's our lows. But then the third question we asked is, where have you seen God at work uh, today? It was our way of declaring God's presence and work to each other each day. So as you marinate in God's love for you and in who God is, it changes you. Your life becomes all about God, and when people look back at your life, they remember not just you, but the God you served. So my question today for you is, how are you growing in knowing God and his love for you? And if you are, who are you telling? Right? Okay, our second ingredient is to spend time with God's word. Our two women, Lois and Eunice, do this well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reminds Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those whom you learned it, from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This for me is an incredible thing. Here were Lois and Eunice in a pagan culture, in a mixed marriage. I don't know, you know, what Eunice's, Eunice's relationship with her in-laws were, whether they approved of her teaching the Bible to her, to Timothy. We don't know that story. But yet the commitment of these women to teach Timothy, spend time with God's word so that it shapes you. Paul goes on to say, these scriptures that your mom and your grandmother taught you are God-breathed, and they're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lois and Eunice knew the wisdom of being in God's word, and they taught Timothy to live it from infancy. For me, this is a legacy that my mom left me. She loved God's word, and she longed for us to love God's word too. When she was pregnant with me, now I don't know this, but she told me this, when she, she was pregnant with me, she read through the whole Bible in those nine months and prayed for me through what she read. And over the years, she did that for each one of her grandchildren, from the time she hear, heard about their birth to the time they, uh, about the, the pregnancy to the time they were born. She would read through the Bible and pray for them through what she had read. When we came here to the US and she would come and visit us for four months, every morning you saw her spend time with God. And then she would come and sit at the dining table and tell us, what she had learned from God. And then she would weave those teachings into teachings for me or for my children. God tells Joshua, when he takes over the leadership of the people of Israel in Joshua 1.8, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Good success, by God's definition, 
is a faithful life. It's a life of sincere faith. I remember telling my mom, you know, I read my Bible, but I don't get anything out of it. And she said, well, let me give you two stories, she would say. One story is the coal basket story, and I don't know if I've told you guys this story, and the other one is the food story. So the coal basket story is the story of this uh, little boy who really wanted to learn to read the Bible like his grandfather uh, read the Bible, but he just was not getting anything out of it. And so the grandfather tells the little, uh, the little boy comes and says, Grandpa, I can't understand the Bible. And the grandpa says, look, there's a basket full of coal over here. I want you to dump out the coal and go fill it with water. Go down to the river, fill it with water, and come back and fill up the trough. And so uh, I'm going to take a nap, and when I wake up, we'll talk about this. And so the little boy does that. He takes the coal, dumps it out, uh, tries to fill water, and it's a basket. So you know what happens. He brings it up, and... He's not able to fill the trough. So he does this a dozen times and he's frustrated and he comes to the grandpa and wakes him up and says, Grandpa, I tried doing what you told me to do, but it's not working. And the grandfather said, son, you haven't filled the trough, but look at the basket. Because in all those times of dipping that coal basket in the water and lifting it up, what happened? The dust and the ash from the coal was washed away and the basket was now clean. And this is what my mom said. Show up, spend time with God's word because as you do, you may not see it, but God begins to work in your life. And then she'd tell me the food story. She's like, okay, what did you eat for breakfast last week, last Sunday? Do you remember? And we would say, no. And she says, no, you don't remember what you ate, but you ate and you were nourished and you grew. Keep at it. Let God's work speak to you, words speak to you, but show up. And I remember as my mom grew older, she spent longer times with her devotion. She'd wake up at five, get a cup of tea, and then she wouldn't come out of her room till around 10 o'clock. And I'm like, mom, what do you do? I mean, if I sit and read my Bible for 15 minutes, I think I'm doing good. But she would sit for five hours. I'm like, what do you do? And she would say, well, I read my Bible. And then I pray for everybody I know. And then I journal. Then I put it all away. And I crawl up on Jesus' lap and put my head on his shoulder. And I just sit there and listen to his heartbeat. She let God's love for her and God's word to her soak into her. There are those who know their Bibles well. They can spout a lot of scriptures, but it doesn't shape their lives. So my question today is, are you letting God's word shape your life? Are you spending time getting to know him through his word? So finally, the third ingredient in leaving a life of legacy is living a life of obedience. Obedience is a hard one. Right, Because you and I know how often we fail. We try so hard to obey God, but we fail. And it's one of those things that can feel like legalism rather than the freedom that comes from Christ. But I like the way Eugene Peterson put it. Obedience is that act that stays, because, stays and does what needs to be done because you love rather than because you should. 
Okay, and so Howard Hendricks said, more than skill or knowledge, what is most important is character in the formation of legacy. Those who live a life that is one of reality, you see, it's not all about them, it's about God. When we look back on their lives, we remember the God they served. We see what God has done in their lives in character and strength and encouragement. And in spite of their failures, you see God's commitment to them and their response to God. Two men in the Bible with lasting legacies are Moses and David. Both had major failures in life, but both came back to God and both uh, worked because of their love for God, worked at living a life of obedience. And as they left, their last words to their people was Moses addresses the people of Israel saying, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. David from his deathbed instructed his son Solomon, so be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations. Moses would say, these words are not idle words for you, they are your life. Obedience does not come easy for me. I don't know about you guys. You guys look like very obedient people. But it doesn't come easy for me. Uh, I want my own way. I really want to control things. I want to be in charge. But obedience says, God, here I am. I won't hide, but I will choose your way over mine. Your will over mine. Someone said, when the last words are spoken about your life or mine, our salvation will come from God's grace. Okay, our salvation will come from God's grace, but our legacy will come from our obedience. Jesus' own final words to his followers were these, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The word go means as you go. It's not like, you know, as you go. So as you live your lives, in the dailiness of your lives, as you live your lives, make disciples. That's where you're leaving a legacy. You live, leave a legacy in the lives of the people around you, in your children, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the nations. As you go in the dailiness of your life, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. How do you teach people to obey? by first being obedient. Uh, I, uh, I want to just end with telling you a story, and it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, my, this story happened about 300 years ago uh, in 1750. Okay, so it's a long time ago. And at this time, there, were, um, there was a missionary who came out of Germany called Frederick Schwartz. Now, Frederick Schwartz was an amazing missionary. He came to the south of India. He loved the people uh, of India. He lived in India for 48 years. In obedience to the call of Christ, he went to India. And in obedience to the call of Christ, he stayed, even though things, he stayed for 48 years, all right? 
And uh, the story goes that uh, he came under the protection of the king of Tanjo, whom he mentored and whom uh, he showed the love of Jesus to. So, um, and at that point of time in India, there were two evils. One was the evil of child marriage, where infants were married off to each other. And when the girl reached puberty, she would be married off to the, uh, there would be another ceremony where which she would go into the uh, husband's house. And then the second evil was the evil of sati, which is the evil of uh, widow burning. So when, when a husband dies, the thought was that a woman has no future. And so she would jump into, the, the Hindus burnt uh, their bodies on big funeral pyres. And so the woman would jump into the funeral pyre and self-immolate herself uh, because as a widow she had no future, right? So these two evils were abolished by the British and then further abolished by the Indian government. So you, uh, uh, just so you know, it doesn't happen uh, in, in this day and age. But in 300 years ago, it did. And so uh, there was a day when Frederick Schwartz was, uh, one of his practices was he would go into the neighboring villages and evangelize and then come back to the king of Tanjore's uh, protection. So there was this time when he went to this village to evangelize. And as he went there, uh, there, uh, there was a little girl who had been married to an eight-year-old boy. And that little eight-year-old boy had died. And so this little girl's family had decided that they would do sati uh, uh, for her. And so she had a 14-year-old brother who could not bear the thought of this happening to his little sister. And so he, realizing that Schwartz was in the village, goes to Schwartz and tells him, if I bring my, uh, my sister to you, will you take her and go? Now this is a very dangerous thing for anyone to do because if he was caught, his life was at stake. But not just that, here was a man who had a ministry. And if he was caught, or if it was known that he had taken this girl, he could never again come around that part of the country and evangelize. He had to make a choice, and he chose to obey Jesus. And so when this uh, boy brought this little girl to uh, him in the middle of the night, he agreed to take her, and he escaped to the protection of the king of Tanjo's territory uh, that very night. He brought this girl up in the Christian faith, taught her about Jesus. She accepted Christ, and then she started a family of her own. That little girl was my great-great-grandmother's great-grandmother, right? The legacy that Schwartz left in our family's life spans generations and will continue to do to eternity. When you walk in obedience to Jesus, you never know what God will do with your story. It may be willing to go to Zambia in obedience, but it may be willing to stay at home and take care of your child. It may be willing to go and visit a neighbor. It may be willing to love someone who's really difficult to love, but God's calling you and asking you to do it. When you make that act of obedience for the sake of Jesus, 
He takes it and makes it part of his eternal story that leaves an impact down the generations. So my question to you is, who has God put in your life to invest in? And how are you living a life of obedience? William James said, the great use of life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ in obedience will last. Will you pray with me? Father God, this journey of leaving a legacy is a long journey. But I pray for each one of us here that our lives will marinate in, in your love and will marinate in your word. And that, Lord, I pray for each one here that as they release the flavors of your love and work through their daily obedience, that they will let you take charge of their story and the legacy that they live out and leave. Thank you, Father, because you left us your legacy of love and we can live in that. In your name we pray. Amen.